Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the incredible grace it is to be here. Thank you for drawing us out of our beds, Lord, drawing us from our homes, Lord, and bringing us to this place where we can truly be at home with you. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Please, Lord God, shine your light into those dark places, those places that we have buried things in our past, Lord, those things that we continue to bury places, things in, Lord. We pray that you would set us free from the bondage that is held in those spots, Lord. Release us so that we can love you, so we can know you fully, Lord God. And we pray that you would bless and sanctify this time we have together. Help us, Lord God, to grow as the body of Christ, to learn how much we need each other, Lord, and how much ultimately we need you. Lord, place your word upon our lips and make us faithful in proclaiming it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, I brought with you one of my favorite toys of my whole life. This is a stuffed cobra. It was a real cobra at one point. Um, I never saw it alive, but it is really a snakeskin. It's been with me longer than anything else I know of, than any other thing I own. Um, we, when I was a kid, we lived in Kathmandu, Nepal for two and a half years. And I would, that was from when I was like one till I was about to turn four. And on our way home from Kathmandu, we stopped in Thailand. And in Thailand, you could buy things like this, right? And I just had to have one. I mean, who doesn't want one of these things, right? And so this was one of two. We had another one that was my brother's. It, it had duct tape wrapped around its middle section because it had gotten played with a little too rough at some point. Um, but so um, this thing lived in my bedroom all growing up. It would look at me all night long. Really, what kind of kid lays in their room with a giant poisonous serpent looking at them all out? What kind of weird kid is that? I mean, seriously. I should have brought that to my job interview, so at least you would have known what you were getting. It gives you a hint into who I am as a person. But I love this thing, and I still do. I still look at it, and it's full of good memories for me. Now, that's my interesting story about snakes from my past. We have one from the Israelites about snakes as well in their past that uh, I'd like to talk about this morning. In the book of Numbers, which has a terrible name, I mean, Numbers sounds like an accountant's dream, but it's really a great book. It's super full of action and adventure, and um, Moses is cruising with the Israelites through the wilderness in the book of Numbers. They are in the midst of a journey in which they had been fed by God with manna from heaven. They drank water from the rock that God had caused to spring forth in the desert. God has parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could go through on dry land. He had delivered them from slavery in Egypt with his ten plagues and with the Passover. He had also, um, after they had gone through the Red Sea, he had caused the waters to close back up on the Egyptian army so that the Israelites were protected and safe. They had seen all these signs of God's favor, his blessing, his presence with him. He still guided them every day with a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. He was there, tangibly present with them all the time, providing for their every need. But you know what? Road trips are difficult. <coughs> really? Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. 
I mean, anytime you take a road trip, you have to be planning for difficulty because it's going to happen. Sometimes it's... What's that? Are we there yet? That's right. You know, sometimes it's hard to remember that your parents just paid for your hotel room, your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, the book you're reading, the clothes you're wearing, right? Sometimes you take those things for granted and you forget to be thankful and you start to get complaining. I know you all never did this, but when I was a kid, right, that's what I did. Man, I was horrible road trips. And on this road trip, the Israelites are going to be on it for 40 years, right? So that are you there yet question probably got a little stale at year 38 or so, right? But that was the situation. And they have some massive rebellions on this road trip. Um, What has caused the road trip to be so long is their own rebellion. God had brought them to the edge of the promised land and said, go in. It's all yours. Go and take it. And the people said, no, we don't think so. We're, we're afraid. Those people are like giants in there. We're not going to do it. And so because of that, because of their lack of trust of God, they had to wander around while that generation died out so that the next generation could go in and take the promise that God had given them. In that period of waiting and wandering in that 40 years comes the event that we are speaking about today. The Israelites have just endured the death of Miriam, the sister of Moses. Remember, it was she who watched Moses when he was a little baby in the basket on the River Nile. It was her who watched from a distance. And when Pharaoh's daughter pulled Moses out of the water, she was the one who reconnected Moses with his mother so that his mother could nurse him and care for him. She has just died. A great leader among the Israelites is gone now. And, and also, Aaron the prophet had just died as well. The one who was with Moses for the confrontations with Pharaoh and all the significant events, of is, events in Israel's history, Aaron was there for. And now he has just been buried on Mount Hor. And so the Israelites in our passage are leaving that place and seeking to traverse around the land of Edom. But on this journey, the people get feisty. Somebody reached over to the other person's side of the seat, right? We don't know exactly who did it first, but some line was crossed, right? And then it started this back and forth. Everyone's upset, right? Somebody rolled a window down a little bit and they didn't like it. Yeah, it was bad. It's bad back there with the Israelites. And they begin to complain about everything. They say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now, God has no intention of them dying out there. The promise is that he will provide for them the land that he he has promised to them. He wants to plant them in this new land so that they can be a testimony to his grace, his mercy, and the life that he provides. There is just one problem with this plan. And the problem is the people keep complaining. They keep forgetting about God and turning away from him. And so it makes it awfully hard to bring this plan to fulfillment. This complaining reveals that there is a lack of faith in their hearts. They don't trust him. They're not satisfied with him. And so it comes out in complaining. The people understand that God has brought them out of Egypt 
It was God's work to do this. They understand that, that God did this, that he, that he delivered them. But they fundamentally misunderstand his purpose in doing this. They think he's brought them out to punish them. But actually, God has brought them out to bless them. They complain that there is no food and no water, and that's true, if you don't count the food and the water that God gives them every day, right? You know, kind of like, I'm sure it's never happened in your car, but people sometimes cry out, the younger ones from the back of the car, there's nothing to eat, even though there's a giant bag of food, right? And why do they say that? They don't want that anymore, right? They want something else. And so in their minds, there is nothing to eat. The Israelites, your kids and we, us, we didn't invent that statement. The Israelites were doing it long before us, right? We're just part of a long and storied tradition of people complaining about what they have, right? And this is where they are. And they hear, and then we also hear, and we detest this miserable food. So there's the truth, right? The truth is not that there is no food and nothing to drink. The truth is that they just don't like what they've been given. And ultimately, they're kind of just tired of him, too. They're tired of this whole plan thing. It's not working out the way they'd like to. And so to show them how bad life is without him, the Lord God sends poisonous serpents among the people. The snakes bite the people and they die. Now, my parents never tried this on a road trip with me and my brother, but I'm sure it would have got guaranteed results. Right? You know, much better than, uh, don't make me pull over. Right? This, the serpents in the back would have, don't, don't make me open up the serpent cage. Right? That would have definitely calmed things down for us. And it does for the Israelites. Suddenly they realize how much they love God. Right? They realize how much they trust him and depend upon him because they got no solution for the snake problem. Nothing. They don't know what to do. And so they come to Moses and say, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. Moses does just this. He prays to God for the people. And the Lord God gives him instructions, saying, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Notice that it does not appear that God immediately takes away the serpents. He doesn't take away that thing that is distressing the people. Instead, he offers them a hope that if they will look at the sign he has given them, no matter how grotesque that sign might be, the people will live. Now this is one of the more interesting stories in the Old Testament. But what does it have to do with us? Well, in our faith, one could say that the curse of the serpent is death, just like in the book of Numbers. For in the garden, when Adam and Eve chose to listen to the serpent rather than to God, what was the result? Sin, and the result of sin is? Death. The curse of the serpent was death, both for the people in Numbers, and for us through Genesis. The curse of the serpent has been bringing about death ever since. But God offered hope even in the Garden of Eden when the sin was still fresh, that a descendant of Eve would crush 
the head of the serpent. We believe that one person both crushed the head of the serpent and gives life by being looked upon. That person is Jesus Christ, the one who was lifted high upon the cross so that when we look at him, we can be saved. In his crucifixion and resurrection, he destroyed the power of Satan, the power of sin and death, and he extends to us his forgiveness and his love. In, Nicode- in the New Test- in our gospel passage for today, Jesus said to Nicodemus, "Just as Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life." When was the Son of Man lifted up? The crucifixion. That's right. In the crucifixion, did he look beautiful when he was crucified? In the eyes of the world. No, beaten, battered, pierced, crushed for our sins, pierced for our iniquity. Just like that serpent in the wilderness, Jesus Christ was not something beautiful to look upon when raised up. But in the same way, looking at him gives us life. Now, earlier I wondered what kind of kid wants to look at and stay close to a stuffed cobra. What kind of person does that? Well, I think the same question needs to be posed of us. What kind of person wants to look at and stay close to a crucified Lord? I don't know about you, but I know I need to. I need his mercy and his grace. I need to be forgiven and loved. I need the blood that pours from his face, his hands, and his feet to wash over me and make me clean. Because I find that in my life I am too much like the Israelites, forgetting the mercies, the grace, and the provision of the Lord, complaining against him, rebelling against him. And I need to be forgiven. And I need to start anew. What about you? What about you? What kind of person wants to look at and stay close to a crucified Lord? Are you that person? My hope for us is that we would be people who see the beauty of the crucifixion. Who in Jesus Christ raised up see our hope fulfilled. See our sin nailed to the cross and our lives ransomed by the blood of our God who chose that instead of staying distant from us, came down to us and died for us. May we be people who look to him and have life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God who is with us. Lord, thank you for being present in our lives, Lord God. And thank you for offering us your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord God, we so quickly go astray from you. We so quickly forget what you have done for us. Help us, Lord God, to be convicted of our sin, to be broken 
to be crushed, Lord God, so that you can resurrect us. Lord, it's only when we're truly broken that we see the beauty of the cross. And help us, Lord God, to see that today so that we might give you praise, so that we might give you the glory and the honor which you deserve. Help us to trust in you and to follow you. And we pray that you would give us words to share this hope that is in our hearts with others so that they might be lifted up by looking to you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.